About five weeks later, I woke up on a January morning with my head full of a letter Bob Aspinwell had written me from Haiti. I don't know why this letter came back to me the instant sleep began to go. I had received it days and days before. It was all about the warmth down there, the ease, and above all, the simplicity. He said it was a black republic, and I was grinning in my sleep as I saw Bob and myself plotting a revolt of the whites, determined not to be sold down the river into crime ways. Then I really woke up. Monday morning on Marble Road. An important Monday. Roy Cordette and I had scheduled a full staff conference for the April issue, one of those surprise packages good for everyone's ego and imagination. The big clock was running at a leisurely pace, and I was well abreast of it. But that morning, in front of the mirror in the bathroom, I was certain a tuft of gray on the right temple had stolen at least another quarter-inch march. This renewed a familiar vision, beginning with mortality at one end of the scale and ending in senile helplessness at the other. Who's that pathetic white-haired old guy clipping papers at the desk over there? Asked a brisk young voice. But I quickly tuned it out and picked another one. Ooh, who's that distinguished white-haired scholarly gentleman going into the director's room? Don't you know who he is? That's George Stroud. Who's he? Well, it's a long story. He used to be general manager of this whole railroad. Railroad? Why not something with a farther future? Airline. He saw this line through its first pioneer stages. He might have been one of the biggest men in aviation today. Only something went wrong. I don't know just what, except that it was a hell of a scandal. Stroud had to go before a grand jury, but it was so big it had to be hushed up, and he got off. After that, though, he was through. Now they let him put out the papers and cigars in the boardroom when there's a meeting. The rest of the time, he fills the office inkwells and rearranges the travel leaflets. Why do they keep him on at all? Well, some of the directors feel sentimental about the old fellow. And besides, he has a wife and daughter dependent on him. Hold that copy, boy. This is years and years from now. Three children. Uh, no, I think it's four. Brilliant youngsters and awfully brave about Stroud. Won't hear a word against him. They think he still runs the whole works around here. And did you ever see the wife? They're the most devoted old couple I ever saw. Drying my face, I stared into the glass. I made the dark, bland, somewhat inquisitive features go suddenly hard and still. I said, Look here, Roy, we've really got to do something. About what? About getting ourselves some more money. I saw the vague wave of Roy Cordette's thin, long-fingered hand and discerned his instant retreat into the land of elves, hobgoblins, and double-talk. I thought, George, you went all over this with Hagen three months ago. There's no doubt about it. You and I are both crowding the limit, and then some. What is the limit, do you happen to know? 
The general level throughout the whole organization, I should say, wouldn't you? Not for me. I don't exactly crave my job, my contract, or this gilded cage full of gelded birds. I think it's high time we really had a showdown. Go right ahead. My prayers go with you. I said we. In a way, it involves your own contract as well as mine. I know. Tell you what, George, why don't the three of us talk this over informally? You and Hagen and myself. A good idea. I reached for the phone. When would be convenient? You mean today? Why not? 